Thanks for tuning in to the Glenridge Church message. Our mission is to love God, love people, and live to change the world. If we can help you in any way at all, feel free to reach out to us on hello at glenridge.org.za. Well, it is. it really is uh, good to, to see you this morning. Shepard, if you wouldn't mind putting up that, that little slide, you'll see uh, this morning I, I've got a, a little slide. It says Acts 29 to 55. And it's something of, of my story on our story, the Spooner story a little bit, of how this came about was I was in lockdown. We, were, we weren't allowed off our property, and I would be running up and down our drive, listening to the book of Acts and, and Proverbs. And I would read, I just read it over and over again. I knew we were going to start preaching on, on Acts, and so I just read it and read it and read it. And then... The other day I was running properly on the road, we were allowed out, and uh, I said to God, thank you, Nicholas. (laughs) What next? What's the next step in in our story, in our Acts 28 story? And and this is how this this preach got birthed, on a a run. And uh, you'll hear some stories that I've told before, but that's okay. Paul in Philippians chapter 3 verse 1 says, I'm not afraid to repeat myself, to say things over and over to remind you. And uh, the reason I've got a pair of safety boots and a pair of socks is, if you feel, I I do trust that there will be some conviction comes on some people today. And if you're feeling convicted, I want to be stepping on your toes. Just not sore, just God convicting, not me. And if you feel that this isn't for you, well then strap on your safety boots and it won't hurt you in the least. So let that be a a reminder. So my Acts 29 story started uh, in what was then called sixth form, matric, grade 12. And I went with my sister to the Invisible Church, which met in uh, Prince Alfred Street, opposite the old prison, now the RCC. And we went with hundreds of, of other people just from all walks of life. There was this radical group of people who loved God, loved each other, and wanted to impact and change the world. That was their goal and aim. A people who understood what Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 8 to 10 uh, means, to be saved by grace, to do good works. Not to be just saved to go to heaven, but to be saved by grace, to do good works. You know, it says in James 2, 18, I'll show you my faith by what I do. And here are a bunch of people who were prepared to do it. They would go out and build houses. They'd go out on the streets evangelizing. And those things got fashioned into my life from the very beginning, from the very early days, Acts 29 of of my life, the, the one chapter after 28. And I don't know where you are in your walk, but uh, I've watched over recent times this thing of grace being preached, this unmerited favor, and it's grace, 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 everything's grace, and you can do whatever you want, you can sin. It's no problem, you can willingly sin, and, uh, and it's no issue, there's grace. There's grace, we, we don't have a sinful nature, we, there's just grace. And uh, in Galatians 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, you foolish Galatians, don't be so stupid. The grace of God teaches me to say no to ungodliness. This was preached over and over again. And uh, there's not a license to sin with grace. And uh, it got fashioned into us in the first five chapters of my Acts 29 lifestyle. And the fathers of the house would speak into this. And Titus 1 verse 7 speaks of the elders being overseers 
They could see over, and that's what their job is, to, to oversee us. And when sin comes in, and friends, let me just go back two steps. I just want to tell some stories, really, of what has happened since Acts 29 to Acts 55. And so excuse me if this is higgledy-piggledy, it'll jump from this year to that year, but there are just some things that I've learned along the way that I hope will convict and help us in this walk. And so back to sin, which is always a nice topic to speak on. But it's an amazing thing that if you just do sin, and we all sin, that you tell someone. That it was just put into us. Man, you sin, you tell someone. And uh, James 5.16 says, confess your sins one to another. But be careful of that. So people would come and say, oh, I've done this, this, and this. And you'd say, well done, thanks for confessing. They've confessed it and it's done. Before they say it, say to them, just hold on. Please don't tell me anything. But know that I have the freedom to tell the elders. Why? So that the elders know something of the yeast that's working or the pattern. Because people are really good at telling that person their story and they'll do it again and they'll tell Dawn their story the next week and Nicholas their story the week after that and there's lots of things happening but everyone thinks it's one-offs. Actually just be able to be free to say listen I will tell the elders not so that you're tittle-tattling or breaking a trust but that there's a conviction that comes and that the elders know. It's just a, a wise thing to do so the elders know Galatians 5 9 says a little bit of yeast works through the dough and a little bit here a little bit there soon there's a lot of yeast everywhere actually we want to deal with these things and help in in these things and uh, James 4 verse 6 says grace is given to the humble but the law to the proud and when we sin and we are humble and we come and confess and say listen this is what I've done there's grace that's when grace is a portion this unmerited favor but when it doesn't, then the law gets, gets a portion. And Matthew 6, verse 12, when Jesus is teaching the, the disciples how to pray, what does he say? He says, forgive them their sins as you forgive them. And so when we can't forgive, well, how does Jesus forgive us? And so there's this law and, and grace. And um, I love Hebrews chapter 12. It's a terrible piece of scripture, but I love it. It's, a, it's about discipline. And... Uh, when we read through it, it, it's for our own good, it's based on love, it's done in love, and it leads to restoration. Friends, that's the whole point of discipline, restoration, when it happens. If you look at Job 42, Job goes through this horrendous um, hardship, and uh, Hebrews 12:7 says we endure hardship as discipline. So if you're going through hardship, it's not a bad thing. These are good things. But at the end of Job, he's gone through all this trouble. He's lost everything. God blesses him with three daughters. Jemima. Always think of Jemima Puddle Duck. And uh, Jemima means dove. Kezia means cinnamon. And Karen, a box of cosmetics. Come, my little box of cosmetics. <laughs> so sorry if your name's Karen. But... Um, Three beautiful names, and after discipline, friends, we receive peace, we receive cinnamon, a, a, a beautiful aroma comes out of us. I can't explain it after discipline, and, and we get cosmetics to make us look good. And Job experienced that, and, and preaching through the book of Job is such a hard book to preach through, but it's so wonderful at the end when you get this peace coming out. And all this, friends, 
was fashioned in my, my first three or four years of, of Acts, my Acts 29 onwards. I got taught as a young man to listen to those more experienced than me. Listen, just the older people that have walked longer, they might be younger in age, but they've walked longer. And I remember being in a home group years ago, and a young man just came out, he says, I'm going to sell this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to be a millionaire by 30, I'm going to be so easy, peace of power. And a, an older man just listened and watched and listened and watched, and at the end he said, so what do you think? And this man said, you're never going to make it. He said, oh, he took the wind out of his sails. What do you mean? I'm definitely, I'm going to be a millionaire at 30. He says, you're never going to make it. You're not prepared to work hard. It was like <laughs> this blow came from above. But I tell you what, friends, he had to listen to me. Took it. I don't know where he is now. I hope he did listen and work really hard in, in these things. It's just a perspective. We, we've shied away. Growing up, I tell you, it, it was, we'd go to an older person, someone who's walked longer in the faith, to get a perspective on what's going on. So I'm going to make a big decision, like leave this church and go to Johannesburg. Just get a perspective. What do you think? No, I think you're doing it for selfish reasons. I think you're crazy. You're going to do this and this. Or I think it's a wonderful idea. Beth and I were going over to, to England. We were going to join Nigel and Melita Day-Lewis. They were planting a church. We thought it was the best idea we'd ever had. We had a huge student loan, and uh, off we were going. We, were, we thought this was the way in London. I mean, who doesn't want to go to London? And uh, so we spoke, <laughs> yeah, not you. <laughs> um, but off we go. We tell Rory Dyer, who was an elder at the time, and we ask him what he thinks. And he says he thinks it's the best idea he's ever heard, but he'll ask the other elders. So he comes back a week later, says, so sorry, they think it's a terrible idea. A little bit of a disappointment. But you know what? We could have gone, and it would have been no issues. But we chose to listen. We just got a perspective, and they had great reasons not for us not to go, and so we didn't. Changed our destiny, really. Changed our lives. And just get a perspective, get a, an idea. doesn't have to be an elder, but get someone who's wise, who's walked with the Lord a long time. And my early acts chapters got fashioned around dining room tables. We talk about dining room Christianity, but it got fashioned around that kitchen table, just sitting, eating soup with friends, with peers, with old, young, rich and poor. That's why we have home groups with all demographics, all different cultures, different ages, different uh, wealth groups, it just different. Why? So that people can fashion and shape us. We can learn from one another. We sat and we were challenged with each other, by each other. We were loved by each other. We grew up together. We learned how to parent together, badly and well at times. We supported each other because Glenridge Church was founded on a premise, friends doing life together. Just That's all it is, just friends doing life together. Sundays, Mondays, any old day. And then, um, now I am jumping, I got married eventually, and uh, some people were wondering uh, whether I'd ever get married, but uh, I did, and uh, we, we went to home group every week when I got married. So it wasn't quite what I had in mind. My, my philosophy wasn't that. My philosophy was when, I, when it suits me, but it didn't suit me often. And um, so I didn't often go. But anyway, now I'm married to someone who goes all the time. 
And not that we were that committed, I must say, because if I got a phone call from my parents or someone to say, come to dinner, I would go to dinner. But, uh, but it was fun all the, t- all the same. But for the first 10 years of my life, it was on my own terms. And we were, I know many of you have heard this, I was driving up Berea Road on Valentine's Day to home group, double commitment. And uh, I saw that a row of men buying flowers outside the spa on Berea Road. There used to be a flower seller there. And I said to Beth, what a waste of time. And I felt God say, you've wasted 10 years of your life. I promise you, friends, it changed. We, we made a decision driving up that road that the, we, that was not going to be us. Stan, the other day out of Revelation 3 verse 16, preached about being lukewarm. God will spit you out. And I felt like I'd just been spat out. But it changed us forever. God got hold of me. We made a decision that we would do whatever the deacon said we would do that was leading, leading the home group. And guess what? That night, he says, we're going Cato Manor door-to-door evangelism. It's not my favorite idea of a good time. But off we went. We said, whatever you said, go and pray at Joe Cools we, in front in, at North Beach. We said, okay, we'll go. We'll be there. Not with a balaclava. The one brother took a balaclava so his friends couldn't see him. But uh, that wasn't with us. But, uh, but all the same. We just said, man, we're in. No matter what, we're in. We heard a word the other day that the word for this season is radical. Now, if that's true, and I believe it is, then friends, let's be honest to it and, and let's be true. Let's be absolutely radical. See, years ago when I was around 30, we made a decision to be radical. Now, have we always been? Well, probably not. But we've tried our best not to be lukewarm. We don't want to be lukewarm. We want to be radical on all things. We made a decision driving up Berea Road that we would not turn away from the call of God. We chose to read the Bible, believe it, and do it. See, there's one thing just reading your Bible and saying, oh, yeah, that's true. But you have to do it. Part of the Bible is doing it. And uh, we'll have a look at Acts chapter four, uh, 2 in a minute. And uh, we committed to getting trained up. And so the one year... Tuesday nights, home group. Wednesday nights, we, got, we went to training. Thursday nights, in those days, there were two training slots a week. Friday night was prayer meeting. Saturday night, we had people in our home. Sunday, we had double service church. Monday, we had off. Not elders, just believers in the church who were getting trained up. We made that decision. We committed to it. And it sounds ridiculous. I wouldn't suggest that to anybody. But for us at that time, that was us being obedient. It's difficult to do it with five children. I I know your circumstances are different and I'm not putting that on you. I'm just saying, be committed. We made a decision, we were all in. We came to church, we went to home, we got trained, not because someone told us to, but because we read it in the Bible and we believed it. We did it. And uh, so bring your Bibles. Let's have a look. If your Bible's the wrong way up, turn it around in Acts chapter 2. um, or, you know you read 30% faster in hard copy than in the Bible, than in, on your phones, to all those on Instagram. <laughs> Chapter 2, verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And uh, friends, there's 16 things, little points in that little bit of scripture that changed our lives. Go and have a look at them. I'll mention a couple now. First thing is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What does that mean? We had a, a KwaZulu-Natal equip time the other day here in this hall. Tyron Daniel, who is, leads the apostolic team that this church relates to, what does he say? I can tell you what he preached without listening to him because he says it all the time. And if he's saying it all the time, we need to be thinking about it and what he's saying. He said this. What did he say? Jesus first and foremost. That's it. Just Jesus. Just follow Jesus. Whatever he does, it's Jesus. And it's the most amazing story that we committed ourselves, says there, devoted themselves. Now, I'm not saying be blindly stupid, but listen to what they say, and if it's in the Bible, let's do it. It says there was fellowship. They met together. They broke bread in their homes. They were hospitable. Prayer was not optional. They did it. They praised God. There, there, there was a passionate praise of, of the Father. And uh, they were just a group of friends doing life together. I remember a man, I was with Doug McDonald, and uh, he came up to me and he said, would you consider yourself a fundamentalist? I thought, gee, I've never, all I think of fundamentalists are, are those that are suicide bombers. And I thought, you know what, if I read this word and believe it, then I'm fundamental and I'm proud of it. I want to be a fundamentalist. I read the word, I believe it, and I do it. That's radical. That's why we give our children Bible reading plans. We read it together with them. Not so that they get the good bits, but that they get everything from the Hebrews discipline bits all the way through to the Genesis 15, I'm your shield and your very great reward. And they get everything in between and they know the whole counsel of God. I don't like children's Bibles. They give you the little good bits here and there. The, they explain, read it through with them, rather. Give them the whole counsel in all of these things. And uh, I remember... As we were, I don't know when, maybe Acts 35, we started preaching through Genesis, uh, the book of Genesis. And uh, Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 says, be fruitful and increase in number. It's a problem. We had two children at the time and we thought we'd be radically obedient and we'd have another child, which, which we did. But Genesis is a long book, very long. And uh, so now we've got five. And uh, honestly, friend, that's not for you necessarily, but uh, let me challenge you, if it is for you the challenge, to say, Lord, can I give five church planters? Can I get five people who will plant a church who will go to the nations? Now, we're not all going to plant churches, but we can all go to the nations. And if i got five children, just for the sake of it, I promise you it's not worth it. They're expensive. They're, can we afford it? Definitely not. Does God provide? Absolutely. You know the story of my, my 12 little geese. I, I, the fifth child came home, and Beth puts a picture of two little feet on my pillow, and my heart sinks. I know what's happened. And uh, partially my fault, I must admit. And, um, but anyway, so I go, to, I go to Botanic Gardens, and I, I'm saying, Lord, I, I can't do this. I, this is out of hand. 
and I see 12 little ducklings crawling out the water with two, the mother and father head, and God says to me, if I can look after them, can I not look after yours? And friends, don't, don't, don't be the one that says when you're 70, I wish I'd had more children. Don't be that. I've heard it often, honestly often, and uh, it's an amazing thing. God has got for us an amazing inheritance if we just obedient. On a, on a, on a provision, th- I was on, when we were in lockdown, we were handing out food parcels. And I phoned a man, I said, can I bring some food around? And so I dropped some food off and he said, uh, our family was on their knees. We've got not a thing left in our home to eat. This was in answer to prayer. See, God provides, friends, he provides all the time over and over, 400,000 rand has been given in, in GC share. Over 400,000 rand by the, you to the people of Glenridge. It's a wonderful thing. It's incredibly generous. See, Psalm 112 says, God will, good will come to him who is generous. And here's an awful scripture in 1 Timothy 6.18. Command the rich to be generous. Command the rich. To, we're all rich in this community. We can all give. And Philippians uh, chapter 4, 17 to 20 speaks about apostolic offering, giving to mission. Apostolic offering, it says, is an acceptable sacrifice and my God will meet all your needs. So we read that and we believed it. So we said, okay, well, if that's true, I'm going to sow apostolically because it says it gets credited to my account. So re- go and look at it. It's a, please read it. Don't take my word for it. Philippians chapter 4, we sowed along with so many others into this building project to build this building. People sold computers, sold their bicycles, walked to work, walked to school, just to to sow, and my God will meet all your needs. Savings was thrown into it. It's not clever or amazing, it's just the word for this season is radical. So how are we being radical at this time? The worldly word is convenience. In Christian circles, this is my best word is, don't put that on me. I've heard that over and over a million times. Friends, I'm putting it on you. Be radical. Swim upstream. Swim against the current. Read through, the, through, through Acts with gospel lenses, with Jesus' lenses. It's a radically wonderful book. And I'm just trying to encourage you. This book called the Bible is true and inerrant. Read it and do it. It'll change your, your life, my life, and everyone. And all this happened around kitchen tables, in the temple courts, in church, and at prayer. And we made a decision, friends, years ago that God would come first no matter what. No matter what. Has it always been the case? I hope more than not. But uh, Beth has two siblings. I have three siblings. And uh, dates for us have become very flexible. They're loose. It doesn't, Valentine's Day doesn't have to fall on the 14th of February. In fact, it doesn't have to fall at all in our, in our home. But dates are flexible. And our siblings know. So it's my mother's 90th birthday coming up. They know, they'll ask us what's the best date to celebrate. Because I'm telling you now, we won't be available on that day of her birthday. We might be, and then we'll go for it. But it doesn't matter if it's a day or two out. All is good, because dates are flexible. They're not, we just, and we made that decision 25 years ago. 
that dates were flexible. And some of the funniest things have happened when we've been in, in places on Valentine's Day. It's my personal favorite. Um, but I, I remember at training on, a, on Valentine's Day. We were in the Cecil Reno Theater, I think, at, at the DLR. Some Charlie Brown asks if he can please give this girl a box of chocolates uh, for Valentine's. So Rory says, yeah, no problem. And so he calls her up, gives her chocolates, and says, can I kiss her, kiss you? Forget it, she says, does a U-turn and runs. Same guy, same, very same couple. He proposes to her on a Sunday in church. Here, she turned around and ran. Did they ever get married? You never know. You never, ever know. It was Beth and my, my 30th anniversary the other day. Don't get excited. We haven't been married that long. I'm not that old. It was the 30th anniversary of our first kiss. So, friends, that happened. That was on Tuesday. Beth was violently ill. I mean, properly sick on Tuesday night. It didn't go well to celebrate that day. We celebrated last night. We said, happy day, well done, 30 years of knowing each other. Friends, let's be flexible. If we hadn't made that decision 30 years ago, we would have sweated our way through that. Dates are just movable feasts. I promise you it'll be okay. It'll be okay. And uh, I remember going on from Genesis, we went into Exodus, and uh, Exodus is also a long book. I don't know why we chose these long books, but we learned something about the inconvenience of leaving, and uh, leaving everything behind to take a hold of what God had for us and the promises of God. We also learned about Isaiah 52 verse 7 of how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We learned all this going through this, this book of Exodus. And we, we made a decision then that wherever God sent us, we would go. Wherever we, we'd put up our hand and say, Lord, we'll go. And we want to try, we've tried to put that into our children. We try to take them on trips. Take them, friends, take them with you to the shops and make it an adventure, a, a God adventure, rather than just a hack to go shopping. But I tell you, when we travel, you can travel with one of them. You can travel with all of them. But just put something inside of them that the going is what, what this is. We, we serve ascending God. He sent us to the far ends of the earth. And uh, Psalm 139 uh, verse 8 says, If I settle on the far side of the sea, you'll be with me. And you may have to leave friends and family behind, but God said go and that's the best place for you to be. And uh, we learned these things. We learned how to deal with tough, impossible bosses unreasonable bosses. We learned about the promises of God and Him being absolutely faithful. We learned about the symbolism of the, of the tabernacle, of a gracious, loving Father who forgives sins, of one lamb substitute one family, one lamb substitute for mankind. Learned about these things sitting here in these rows. Social distance not. This is an incredible church, friends. Years and years of truth have been spoken from this pulpit. Years of a training and equipping one for life. And Stan and I were just chatting the other day. We were just reminding us that we've been to hundreds of prayer meetings, hundreds and hundreds of preachers we've heard, hundreds. And you think, surely that's enough. And, uh, but it's like eating. I can't remember what I had for supper two nights ago, never mind a week ago or a month ago. But I do know I ate and I do know I got nourished. And it's a little bit like what happens on a Sunday by Sunday by Sunday. There's, sometimes there's a spectacular day. 
And I remember going to, to Singapore and uh, our budget was, we were tight. And I love chili, uh, I love crab, and there's chili and pepper crab in Singapore. Everywhere you go, if you go in the tourist place, that's what they serve. And uh, so we looked at the price, I think it was $10, which was more than our week's uh, um, budget. So we thought, okay, well, that's great, we won't be doing that. But friends, the day before we left, we were taken to lunch. I remember the meal, I remember the smells, I remember the, this laden, lazy Susan with every type of seafood you could hope or imagine. I still remember that meal. And that's, one, that's a spectacular meal, like a spectacular meeting that happens every now and again. But most of all, it's just sustenance that happens Sunday by Sunday. We get sustained and learn. We learn something, we learn one thing, we appropriate it. And that's what I want to encourage you today. It's just don't give up. You might think today's preach might be an absolute lulu for you. That's okay. I'm quite happy with that because next week will be great. And if you wait, you'll get this again, and maybe it'll be better. But friends, just come. Don't stop. Don't miss. Don't miss. Don't miss. You'll get it, and it'll be amazing, amazing, the story. And uh, in Acts, how long have I been going for? I can't even remember. In Acts 49, uh, Ma 49, Rory came to, to Beth and I and said, listen, there's a, pardon? There's a church uh, that needs a leader, would you be up to taking it over? And uh, we had literally been planning on going to the east. We had moved into a little flat to prepare our children for flat living. And we, the, the east was soaked with prayer with Malaysia and Hong Kong and Singapore, and that was where we were going. And now we were being offered a church in Durban. And uh, long story short, we took the task. And were we ready? Well, we thought so. <laughs> we found we weren't so ready. But what was important, friends, is what we had, we could give. And I'm telling you now, every single person here sitting here now has got something to give. Every person here can go. Every person can go either to plant a church, go with a church, or to support a church. Everybody. Everybody. This church was started with the thought that every five years we'd empty the church with, and a new bunch of people would come. And those emptying, not, they wouldn't leave disgruntled, they'd leave planting churches. And that's what we, our heart, we want to throb with that. And uh, it's a radical thing. See, in Matthew 28 it says, you'll be my witnesses here, there, and everywhere. That's my translation. Here, there, everywhere. Let's go. We've got to go. We can sow into this thing. Where were you trained? Right in these seats. In these seats, in that pew, you are trained. Don't miss out on meeting together. Sundays, homes, prayer meeting. So easy. And uh, I remember preaching through the book of Nehemiah. I, I love Nehemiah. Just got hold of me. It's got so easy to read. Wonderful things. Stan preached about it last week, about uh, opposition coming. The valley gate represents opposition. And uh, I remember when we were leading a church, I took a friend of mine, Vessel Vessels, to a meeting with a man, and out of the blue just poured this venom that he'd had for years that he had held against me. I didn't even know I'd done half the stuff, but he just poured all over me. And, uh, you know, in Proverbs 18.24, it says, a friend who sticks closer than a brother, that's the friend you want. And I tell you, if I hadn't read Nehemiah, and I didn't know about Nehemiah, and hadn't studied it and looked at that there's opposition coming, I'm telling you, friends, I would have crumbled. But I had a friend who put his arm around me. He didn't even say much. Just put his arm around me, held me up, and we walked through this thing. 
got through to the other side, and I'm still standing, it's okay. Everybody's still standing. And that's nothing to do with me. It's nothing clever except vessel vessels. I owe him my life. He looked after me and that on those days. And friends, there's so much that's happened in 35 years of this church being around. But all I want to encourage you today, please read this Bible. Understand it and do it. And we'll be okay. No matter what happens, we'll be okay. And I want to just ask, please be convicted. Boots and all, we're all in. Whatever God's got for you at this season, at this time, man, I'm going to do it. And uh, I want to do it with you. I want to be a bunch of friends who do life together in Jesus' name. Amen.